Amen. Good morning. Is this mic working? I don't know if you're like, it feels like a little distracted. We've got a lot going on today. We've got church, fall kickoff. Everybody's trying to get their last camping in before it gets really cold. Um, we've got food afterwards, Doritos, walking tacos, and then of course, Luckily, the game doesn't start at noon, right? Packers and Vikings. We got a lot of these things. My family and I, we're, we're leaving for Southern Illinois tomorrow morning at 5 a.m. There's a lot of things that are happening. We're gone for a week, by the way. Richard is preaching next week from Riverview, so pray for him as he uh, preps the message. Um, and we'll get back Sunday, late Sunday night. There's just, there's a lot, there's a lot going on. And... I'm, I'm feeling a bit distracted. If you're feeling a bit distracted, if you're looking forward to this or looking forward to that, um, whatever is happening this week, I think as I was, we're singing the songs and as I was praying and thinking that it came to my mind just a reminder, I had to remind myself, whatever happened last week, whatever is happening in the week to come, we are here right now with God's people to worship our God together. That's why for Elm Creek, it's so important for us. I mean, there's a lot of things that we do. We, we, we love one another, but you know what? We hold above everything else. Hold above even walking tacos. Hold above football games. Hold above fancy schmancy stuff. One of the youth came up and said we should do a bubble machine and smoke machine and all that kind of stuff. Being funny because it would be funny once, not so much the second time for me, uh, because we are not here for us. We are here for God. And when we have times or days where we're distracted, where we have things coming up, school has started, life is trying to get back to normal, all of these things can become a distraction from why we're really here. The mic doesn't work. Guitar is not loud enough. It was, by the way. I'm just using it as an example. Okay? What, whatever we, what, what's going to happen? What's gonna, we are here right at this moment to love God, to read His Word, to study it, to worship Him together. Now, that doesn't mean all that other stuff. It doesn't matter. That it, but it's lower on the totem pole, lower on the priority list, at this moment, for us as a church, what is important to us is that we are faithful to Him, we love God, and we love His Word. And that's where we bask. We're not into trends. We're not into bubble machines. We're not into having a, a perfect worship set or a perfect speaker who comes up and never says anything stupid. Okay? I'll, that's me I'm talking about. We're here to worship God. We're here to give the best of what we have. We're here to give Him the praise and the glory and the honor. So my prayer for us in this moment right now, whatever is coming up in about an hour or a week or a month from now, can we stop and just bask in the presence of God hear his word, and just fall in love with him more. Knowing not everything's going to be perfect. And 
you know what? Walking tacos is going to happen no matter what. I'm leaving on vacation no matter what. The football game is going to happen no matter what. And guess what? Life will go on whichever team wins. I'm a Packer fan, by the way. So I'm still cheering for them. But in the end, it doesn't matter. It really doesn't matter. God's the one who matters. And so may we, as we hear the words of God, as we study them together, as we look at it together, may He be given the glory. May He be our focus and our heart this morning. My old football coach had a saying that the second guy always gets caught. You ever heard that before? And he's referring to the time-honored attempt of irritating an opponent to the point that they finally react, and usually in a negative way, resulting in a penalty for the second guy, not the first guy. The second guy always gets caught. So now it's simply normal for us as human beings to desire vengeance, to do to others as they have done to us, but to quote the Lord through David and Psalm 37, this is what he starts with. In essence, paraphrasing, those who are wise do not fret because of the wicked. Don't become agitated. That's what fret means. You become agitated and worried because of the lives of the wicked seem to be blessed. Don't let your anger kindle against the wicked because of their actions or words towards you. Why? Because you're a better person? Because you have self-control? No. Because God's people look beyond the here and now to a greater blessing. And in context, this psalm is written for the nation of Israel, whom David calls the righteous, upright, and blessed, to teach them how to deal with, or how the Lord deals with both them and his enemies, whom David calls the wicked, the ruthless, and the cursed. God desires his people to trust in him during times of trouble, focusing not on present circumstances, but on their future inheritance. Hence, the title of the message, Inheriting the Land. God also reminds them of who he is. For if they are his people, then they belong to him. Meaning that he's going to take care of them, while their enemies rally to slay them. So, we love the Word of God. We don't paraphrase. If we're studying a passage, and we'll see that when we get into 2 Samuel, we'll read entire chapters or more, uh, because it's there for a reason. So, Josh read the first nine verses. Um, it's not going to be up on the screen, so if you've got your Bible or your Bible app, open up to Psalm 37. And I'm going to start reading in verse 10, and there's 40 verses, but all of them, all of them are important. So Psalm chapter 37, verse 10. And just a little while, the wicked will be no more. Though you look carefully at his place, he will not be there. But the meek shall inherit the land and delight themselves in abundant peace. The wicked plots against the righteous and gnashes his teeth at him. But the Lord laughs at the wicked, for he sees that his day is coming. The wicked draw the sword and bend their bows to bring down the poor and needy, to slay those whose way is upright. 
Their swords shall enter their own hearts, and their bows shall be broken. Better is the little that the righteous has than the abundance of many wicked. For the arms of the wicked shall be broken, but the Lord upholds the, up, the righteous. The Lord knows the days of the blameless, and their heritage will remain forever. They are not put to shame in evil times. In the days of famine, they have abundance, but the wicked will perish. The enemies of the Lord are like the glory of the pastures. They vanish like smoke. They vanish away. The wicked borrows but does not pay back, but the righteous is generous and gives. For those blessed by the Lord shall inherit the land, but those cursed by him shall be cut off. The steps of a man are established by the Lord when he delights in his way. Though he fall, he shall not be cast headlong, for the Lord upholds his hand. I have been young, and now I'm old. Yet I have, I have not seen the righteous forsaken, or his children begging for bread. He is ever lending generously, and his children become a blessing. Turn away from evil and do good, so shall you dwell forever. For the Lord loves justice. He will not forsake his saints. They are preserved forever, but the children of the wicked shall be cut off. The righteous shall inherit the land and dwell upon it forever. The mouth of the righteous utters wisdom, and his tongue speaks justice. The law of his God is in his heart. His steps do not slip. The wicked watches for the righteous and seeks to put him to death. The Lord will not abandon him to his power or let him be condemned when he is brought to trial. Wait for the Lord and keep his way, and he will exalt you to inherit the land. You will look on when the wicked are cut off. I have seen a wicked, ruthless man spreading himself like a green laurel tree, but he passed away, and behold, he was no more. Though I sought him, he could not be found. The, mark the blameless, and behold the upright, for there is a future for the man of peace. But transgressors shall be altogether destroyed. The future of the wicked shall be cut off. The salvation of the righteous is from the Lord. He is their stronghold in the time of trouble. The Lord helps them and delivers them. He, he delivers them from the wicked and saves them because they take refuge in him. So evidently, God's people are a bit angry and irritated at the wicked, those who do not love or obey God, and yet they seem to be blessed by God. Have we ever seen people like that? While Israel is striving to take refuge in the Lord, their enemies are gaining wealth, power, and prosperity, in addition to working overtime to make life absolutely, absolutely miserable for the people of God. This whole psalm seems to be answering the questions, well, if God is for us as his people, then, then why are we being persecuted by those who hate him? And why does it seem like he's blessing them more than us? And David's answer, he says, don't become angry towards and envious of the wicked. Trust in the Lord. Be faithful in him. Delight in him, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Now, that has been misused. Why does he give us the desires of his heart? Because we delight in him. What are those desires of our hearts? They are his desires. He gives us what we want because we want what he wants that's what it means to be a child of god it doesn't mean because i want a lamborghini suddenly god's going to give me that because that's what i desire 
Or let's just bring it down. I want to lose 40 pounds. And God's like, yep, you're going to have to work for that one. But it's a desire, God. And yeah, I have something greater. I want you to be sanctified. I want you to work. I want you to let go. I want you to kill your idols. He gives us the desires of our hearts because we desire him. Commit your ways to the Lord and he will act on your behalf, making you righteous and just. Don't fret. Be still before the Lord. Wait patiently for him because while he will cut off the wicked, you, you righteous people, you will inherit the land. Turn away from evil. Don't run to evil. Sure, the wicked seem to be prospering because they do evil things seemingly without any consequence. Not that that applies to our world today. But don't follow their example. Instead, keep God's word. Keep his commands and his truths because unlike the wicked, you have a future. You see, the wicked are not portrayed in a positive light. They are called evildoers, wrongdoers, enemies of the Lord, cursed by the Lord, ruthless, and transgressors. That's not like this uplifting message, right? He's, he's pretty blunt. He doesn't candy coat it and say people who do wrong things. No, they're evil. They are wicked, and they are cursed. These are the people who reject the ways and commands of the Lord, choosing instead to follow and fulfill their own desires. They see Israel and they plot against her, desiring to see the death of God's people. They actively watch for and seek out the death of the righteous, all while working to increase their own prosperity. Now, don't get that word prosperity stuck in your head as if, like, that's just rich, because rich people, they're evil. That's not what he's saying. This is not about money. This is about the heart. They love evil and they do evil things. Their focus is on the here and now, getting what they can, destroying anyone or anything that gets in their way. They arrogantly display their prosperity, whatever form that comes in, as a tree displays its leaves for everyone to see. They are all deceived, though. For though they see themselves as masters of their own lives, it is actually the Lord who establishes the steps of a man. He is the one who is really in control, and it doesn't bode well for the wicked. You see, the Lord, it says, I don't know if you catch that, the Lord laughs at the wicked. Like, that is cruel. What kind of God do you worship who laughs at people? Well, he laughs at the sheer audacity and ignorance of the wicked. He looks at their lives and their hearts and simply laughs at their utter pride and arrogance. They think their life is all about them. They see themselves as the ones who were in control, working all things to their own glory. The Lord sees their days coming to an end when he will end their plans and he will end them. Man, I'm just going to get myself in trouble today, right? I mean, that's just, that's just not uplifting. 
But yet that's what God's word is saying here. And it all come around. There's a reason for it. He will cut the wicked off and destroy them because of their wickedness. He upholds the righteous while breaking the arms of the wicked. He loves justice and will not abandon his people. Instead, he will preserve his people forever. He will not abandon the righteous to the power of the wicked. He will not let the righteous be condemned when put on trial. I don't think that means literal trial. I think that's judgment. Because it's all pointing forward, all pointing ahead. Instead, he will save his people. He will be a stronghold in their time of trouble. He will help and deliver them from the wicked. He will be their refuge from the storm. You see where this is all pointing to? The wicked see the here and now, and the righteous can get caught up in that. God's people can get, look, look what's going on, God. And God's going, what? Like, you got to see the big picture here, Mark. You're seeing this. I'm seeing this. I'm seeing what's really happening. I see their hearts and the arrogance of their hearts. Come to me. Don't go running to them and to their desires. Now, again, okay, so let's, I want to be realistic here, right? This all sounds really good. And we can sympathize with the frustration and the fretting of the Israelites, right? Because even today, we don't need to look too far to see how some people who absolutely hate and despise God and His ways are prosperous in a lot of different ways. It looks to the people of God that those who stand faithfully on the truth and the commands of God, those who delight in Him, those who commit their ways and lives to Him, those who trust in Him, seem to get the short end of the stick over and over and over again. We are called bigots, unlearned, old-fashioned, hateful, and ignorant. Throughout history, the faithful and the righteous have been jailed, persecuted, and even killed for their faithfulness to God. And yet, here is King David telling us not to be angry or worried about the life of the wicked. It sounds great. It is hard to live out. All you got to do is get on the internet, pull up any news organization. You watch that every single day and you will be depressed and down almost instantly. Seeing how the world is seeing even in our own lives, maybe not even going to the internet, but just going to work or going to school. And you see those who absolutely hate God, or maybe I should say those who love God are looked down upon. They're silenced. They're quiet. And so what's David's point? What's he really trying to get across to God's people? Now, I've said this a hundred times. I'm going to say it a hundred times again. One of the key tools for understanding God's word is to pay attention to repetition. My goal as a, a pastor and a preacher, my goal is not to just stand here and tell you what the word of God says. That's part of my job, but I'm also a sinner. I also get things wrong. And if you know me, yes, you know that's right. <laughs> I'm imperfect. This word of God is perfect. But my job, my goal in, 
in speaking this is, yes, to tell you the truth, but also to teach you how to grab the Word of God and daily study it yourselves. One of the tools, when you're reading God's Word and you come to a passage where you're trying to figure out what does it mean, one of the tools is look for repetition because if it's repeated, what? Oh, I love the gist. Woo! Yeah, strong. If it's repeated, it's probably important, okay? So if you're reading a passage and you're seeing something over and over and over and over again, it's probably important. And that is true with this psalm also. There are two ideas that are heavily repeated in this psalm. One is the inheritance of the land for the righteous that's said seven times in 40 verses, and the cutting off of the wicked, which is said 14 times in these 40 verses. So, okay, so what does that have to do? Inheriting the land and being cut off from the land. What does that mean? Well, the main focus of Genesis through Joshua, the first six books of the Bible, is the promised land. This was, where the, this was the land of Canaan, what the Bible describes as a, a land flowing with milk and honey, a beautiful and prosperous place to live. God promised Abraham that his descendants would one day inherit this land, that it would be his inheritance from God. And so there has to be something more in this idea of Psalm 37 because this psalm is written by King David. And where is King David residing at this moment? In fact, the psalm is written, not right now, but in the the psalm is written. Where is he at? He's in the promised land. He's in the land of Canaan. But it's not called the land of Canaan anymore. It's called the land of Israel. So, The nation of Israel is already established. They're already occupying the promised land. David is ruling this land as God's anointed king. Okay, so that's the promised land. Now what about the cutting off of the wicked? Well, the context of the psalm seems to put these enemies of God living right alongside the righteous. So, These aren't distant nations who are plotting against God's people. These are neighbors who are actively working to bring down and slay the righteous. How can they be cut off from the land if they're already living in the land? It doesn't make much sense that the inheritance of the land that David is speaking of here is literally the land of Canaan. So there has to be something deeper. You see how that all works out? Like, we could just read, oh, inheriting the land. Oh, well, that's the land of Canaan. Okay, well, stop, look at the context, look who's written it, who it's attributed to. Well, this is David. Okay, so what is the deeper meaning behind this then? What is the deeper thing that is trying to be taught and told by God? And I think the key is found in verses 10 and 11. This is what it says. In just a little while, the wicked will be no more. Though you look carefully at his place, he will not be there. But the meek shall inherit the land and delight themselves in abundant peace. In just a little while, the wicked are going to be dead. Sure, they've become prosperous. Sure, they've fulfilled their own desires. Sure, they've worked overtime to kill the people of God. But the day will come, a day the Lord himself sees and establishes, in which they will be no more. They will be gone from this earth, and their prosperity will stay on this earth. They will enter eternity with nothing. 
nothing but the curse of God. It's found in verse 22. But the righteous, they're going to inherit the land. Their lives may be taken by the prosperous wicked, but they will still come into their inheritance. They will enter eternity with the blessing of God. Every week we are reminded of this blessing at the end of each service. We'll hear it again today when at the benediction, what do I say? The Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you, be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. You see, the inheritance of the land is not the land of Canaan. That physical land was actually used by God to point God's people to the true promised land. A life in the presence of God for all eternity in heaven. But the wicked, they will be cut off from the presence of God. They will receive eternal death in hell, away from the grace and the mercy and the love of God. That's what David is teaching. That's what God, through David, is telling us. Now, this, is, this isn't just a David thing. Because there's a famous verse that I just said, besides the blessing, that Christ once preached. Did you catch it? In his Sermon on the Mount, Jesus actually quotes Psalm 37, 11, when he says, Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Earth is actually land. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the land. All of the Beatitudes, actually, they point to more than just simply earthly possessions or earthly prosperity, if you want to use that word. For instance, Jesus doesn't say, blessed are the poor. He says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And even the parallel verse, because you say, well, Mark... In Luke, it says, blessed are the poor. Well, if you look at the context, it points to something deeper than just poor and hungry and thirsty. It is, that's beyond the disciples' needs. You are thirsty. Does that mean they're literally wanting water? No, they're spiritually thirsty. And Jesus says, I am the living water. You're spiritually hungry. Guess what? I am the living bread. Are you poor in spirit? I'm the one who gives you life. The kingdom of heaven is not an earthly kingdom. Not yet. (laughs) It's not an earthly kingdom. It's a spiritual kingdom. And the meekness that Jesus is speaking of is an attitude that isn't arrogant and oppressive, that would be who the wicked are. And its emphasis is more on one's relationship to God. Blessed are the meek toward God, for they will inherit the land. You see how this is all coming together? God blesses those who are not arrogant towards Him, and they will inherit the land, just as Psalm 37 says. The wise don't fret over the earthly prosperity and doings of the wicked because those doings which may cause the death, even if those doings cause the death of the righteous. Why? Because 
we trust and delight in the Lord, not in the things of this world. Now, I, know, I understand, why, why am I preaching this? Because even as God's people, if you are a child of God, we have to be reminded about this, right? How many of you said boo when I said I'm a Packer fan? Oh, I see Jeff left. Uh-huh. Right? I mean, that's, I'm, not, I'm, I'm just using an example. I'm not saying you're wicked. Don't go, I mean, you're a Vikings fan, so, you know, whatever. You know, anyway, that's not, that's not the, the point. All of that stuff is going to go away. It's going to not exist anymore. We're going to be standing in eternity, and we're not going to be arguing, did the Vikings or the Packers win today? Did I make enough money in my life? Was I happy in my job? Did I not have anybody at school bully me? Was I popular enough? Was I thin enough? Was I athletic enough? We're not going to be standing there debating that. Guess what we're going to be saying? Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Praise His name because I put my delight in Him and not in the things of this world. We don't fret as God's people. We commit our ways to Him because we know that He will act on our behalf, bringing us into our inheritance of an eternity in heaven with himself. See, some people think the great thing about heaven is that you're not going to have any pain or sorrow and tears, and that's true. But that's not why heaven is so awesome. Heaven is awesome because God's there. He's the center of heaven. He's the light, which is why we won't need a sun in the sky. He is the light who lights everything for us. We are still and quiet before the Lord because when we move in our anger, it only tends to evil. Have we ever experienced that? How many times have I told my children, do not respond to your brother punching you? Why? Because it's only going to escalate. And you know what? Second guy always gets caught. It only tends to evil. We wait patiently for him, the Lord, because we know that the day is going to come when we will inherit the land and the wicked will be cut off. God will deal with them in his own timing. It is not our problem and it is not our issue. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. He will take care of it. We don't have to worry about it. We don't have to lose sleep over it. We trust him because we know that he will always bring justice and vengeance upon those who are his enemies. Now, that word justice, we can use that, right? We put it into our context uh, of our society. What he's talking about is eternal justice. Those who hate him will face the judgment and be cut off. He loves justice. He loves vengeance. Because that is who he is. He's always right in his ways. He always does what he promises. And in Psalm 37, he promises to help deliver and save those who take their refuge in him. That's why, that's why all of our, our music needs to worship him and not ourselves. I mean, we, we're doing walkie-talkies afterwards, and yes, we're fellowshipping. 
Why are we fellowshipping? Because we're the people of God and we want to love each other as God calls us to because we love Him. He's even the center of our fellowship together. Think about that while you're eating out of a Doritos bag. We are here to glorify Him. We are here to worship Him. We are here to let go of all of those things in life that are dragging us down, that that distract us from the truth of who He is. And we come once a week at least to a Sunday morning, to hear the word of God, for God to say, Mark, guess who's in charge? Guess who I am? You're trying to control things on your own. You're getting worked up about these silly things that happened two days ago. Guess what? They're done and they're over with. You've got to look further down the line. You are my son and you will inherit the land. You will be with me forever. Keep that in mind next time things don't go your way, Mark. Remember, remember who I am and quiet yourself before me and take refuge in my arms. You see, ultimately, Psalm 37 points to Christ, points to Him as our Savior and Lord who saved us from Uh, saved us from the wrath of God for our sins. He went willingly to the cross. He shed his blood. He rose again and is now sitting at the right hand of the Father in heaven. He did all of this, first of all, to obey his Father and to glorify him, and second of all, to save the righteous, to save those who trust, submit, and love him. This table that we're going to take here in a few minutes, this table is a reminder to all of God's children not to fret over evildoers, but to look to Jesus Christ that He is our refuge. We should, should the evil take our livelihood, perhaps even take our lives, We have no reason to become angry and envious. For the day will, their end will come one day. We will come into our inheritance of eternal love, mercy, and grace of God, and the wicked to an inheritance of eternal death. Now, we don't say that like, yeah, they're getting their comeuppance. It should break our hearts. When we see those who are distracted by the things of this world and their life revolves around this, this place, these things that will all day, one, one day just burn up and be nothing. Every three weeks, we receive the Lord's Supper, whereas God's children, we are called to remember. So we do what's called open communion here. You don't have to be a member of Elm Creek to take the Lord's Supper with us. We only ask that you be a child of God. Have you put your faith and trust in Him? Do you find your delight in Him? Or as we say, is, is Christ the Savior, treasure, and life of your, of, uh, uh, Savior, treasure, and Lord of your life? So is your Savior, has He saved you from your sins? Do you realize because of your sin that you've committed against God, there is a separation between the two of you, and there's nothing that we can do to get to God. So God has to do something, and He did it by sending His Son. 
His wrath is upon us for our disobedience. Christ took that wrath upon himself. He took it upon himself for us who believe so that we might be saved and have a relationship with God. 